Two eclipses, a great apparition of Mercury, Mars passing through an open cluster, and all the naked eye planets being visible make May and June of 2021 an action-packed pair of months. Welcome to Observing with Webb, where a high school astronomy teacher tells you what you're looking at, why it's so cool, and what you should check out later this month at night. Uh, we've got awesome stuff going on for these two months, and I packed the two months together just to make sure I got them out before uh, summer vacation hits. And we've got uh, all the planets, uh, we've got plenty of events, very interesting ones, uh, two eclipses that you'll want to pay attention to, and of course, some constellations. So um, let's uh, wait to do the eclipses and events till later, and let's start with the planets. Let's start with the sunset planets. Okay, so we've got Mars, Mercury, and Venus, the terrestrial planets. So let's start with Mars. We've been seeing it a lot already, but all you have to do is look west after sunset and just find the non-twinkling reddish-orange dot, and it's much brighter than everything around it. Uh, Mars will move up through Gemini uh, in May, and it'll go through Cancer in June. And it'll, it'll start off about halfway up the sky when you look at it in May, and it ends only about 15 degrees above the horizon by the end of June. So it's fading away um, and pretty much August or July, it's going to be gone, not going to be able to see it. So get your last looks in for Mars in the West. Now, another one is Mercury. And it is pretty much visible for the month of May. Uh, and it's very, very low in the West, Northwest after sunset. Now, you will need a clear horizon. But if there were a good time to find Mercury, this month would be it. Mid-May is perhaps the best time since that's when it's highest in the sky uh, and there will be a thin crescent moon nearby to help you. I'll have some details on that later. And um, also perhaps the 28th is one of the best days too because bright Venus, 300 times brighter than Mercury, will be only about half a degree away from Mercury, uh, making that a great guidepost. So we'll talk more about some of the guideposts later on, but Mercury is low in the west-northwest after sunset. Also in the west-northwest after sunset is Venus. Now, it is going to start this appearance, this uh, evening star appearance, late in May, and then it's going to stay around 10 degrees above the horizon at dusk all the way throughout June. Uh, but it never really gets more than 15 degrees above the horizon this time. Okay, But it's still a good one. So again, Mars, which is pretty high up but gets lower every day. Mercury, which is visible in May. And Venus, which is low but very visible uh, for the next two months. Now, as far as throughout the night planets go, we don't really have any right now. However, Jupiter and Saturn are getting close. And that's what we have next, the Jupiter, sorry, the, the morning planets, Jupiter and Saturn. So basically we've got these two gas giants 
and they're in the southeast in the morning getting higher and rising earlier each and every day so just look southeast in the morning after 3 a.m in the beginning of the month and after 12 30 a.m by the end of june and what you'll notice is that uh, jupiter will be on the left and saturn will be to the right by about 15 degrees so if you just take your fingers and, and make the little uh devil horns or whatever you want to call them um, with your pinky and your forefinger put them at arm's length that's about how far away Saturn will be so again Saturn and Jupiter in the mornings just look southeast and then you've got Mars and Mercury in May and Mars and Venus in June Now the events for May and June. Let's start off with the moon. We'll talk about the close encounters and the eclipses coming up. But as far as the planet, or sorry, as far as the moon goes, in May you've got it starts off with a waning gibbous. It's mostly lit and rises later at night. Uh, and then on the third is the last quarter moon. That's when just the left half is lit up, and you can see it from midnight into the morning. Then you've got a, about a week of morning crescents from the 3rd to the 11th, and then the 11th is when we have a new moon. Darkest skies, uh, and then after the 11th, so 12th, 13th, 14th, you'll get the evening crescents. Just look west after sunset, and uh, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, and then the 19th is the first quarter moon, which is the right half is lit up, and you can see that from sunset even before sunset into midnight. Then after that, the moon gets bigger and becomes a gibbous, mostly lit after sunset. And then we've got a full moon on the 26th. Now then we step forward to June. Um, the June is a waning gibbous. Then it becomes a last quarter on the second, morning crescents, new moon on the 10th, evening crescents, first quarter moon on the 18th, evening gibbous, and then a full moon on the 24th. So they're pretty similar. Uh, there isn't much change from month to month. All right, so we got some close encounters. We got two close encounters in May, then the total lunar eclipse. Now the two close encounters are of course going to be with Saturn and Jupiter first, and then Venus, Mercury, and Mars second. So on May 3rd, 4th, and 5th, you'll be able to see the moon real close to Saturn and Jupiter. So look before sunrise in the southeast between 3.30 in the morning and 6 in the morning, Eastern Daylight Time, on these three mornings, and you'll see a beautiful crescent moon passing by these two gas planets. Now on the third, Mars will be down and to the right of Saturn. I'm sorry, the moon will be down and to the right of Saturn. And on the next morning, the fourth, the moon uh, will be under and between Jupiter and Saturn. And that makes a great triangle. And then on the fifth, the crescent moon will hang out just seven degrees below and to the left of Jupiter. So third, fourth, fifth, moon, Saturn, and Jupiter. Then about a week later, they're gonna be on the other side on the opposite side of the night or day 
morning, whatever. May 12th to the 16th, you get a nice close encounter between the Moon, Venus, Mercury, and Mars. Each of the solar system's terrestrial planets, they're going to get a nice visual close encounter with our Moon during this week. So every night, just get out there after sunset, find yourself a good, clear view of the west-northwest horizon, and each night, Venus will be the lowest and brightest planet with Mercury just eight degrees above it, a little less than a fist width held at arm's length. Um, also, Mercury will be dimmer. And then Mars will be about 35 degrees above the horizon in Gemini. So Venus lowest, then Mercury, then Mars much higher. So what happens every day? Well, on the 12th, you'll have the extremely thin and just barely visible crescent moon. Uh, it'll be less than one degree away from Venus. And they will both be very, very low <clears throat> on the horizon. Now, the 13th, you'll have a slightly thicker moon and it'll be just three degrees to the left of Mercury and considerably higher above the horizon than the day before. On the 14th, you have a thicker and higher moon directly between Mercury and Mars. On the 15th, the moon will be just three degrees below and to the right of Mars. And on the 16th, the moon will be above Mars. So it's a whole week of just tracking the moon, seeing how it moves on the ecliptic past these planets. And then we come to the near miss, which is the total lunar eclipse. Those of us on the East Coast missed it by that much. We won't really be able to see anything. However, the further west you are, the more likely you'll be able to catch a glimpse of the partial portions of the eclipse. If you want the best view, go as far west in the United States as possible, or go to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, maybe you can't do that. Uh, and then or you could head to Eastern Australia. They're the ones who are going to see it. And if you check in the show notes, I will have links for that there. Um, so it's, a, it's happening. You can probably find, I bet you NASA has some sort of um, live streaming option to actually watch the thing. But if for seeing it in person, if you're on the East Coast, sorry. If you're on the West Coast, you should be able to see at least the partial portions of it at that time. Now, the next thing is May 30th to June 3rd, we've got another close encounter with the Moon, Jupiter, and Saturn. So again, it's the Moon getting up with these uh, morning planets, and uh, after 2 a.m., but before sunrise, go out and look southeast for the Moon, Jupiter, and Saturn. Each day, like before, Jupiter will be the brightest point of light with Saturn almost two fist widths to the right. It's a little bit further away now. The moon will creep up to them from the right-hand side on May 30th, and then it'll move closest to Saturn on the 31st, and then closest to Jupiter on June 1st. The moon then moves to the left of Jupiter for the second and the third. And because of the way the ecliptic is set up, you will be able to see the moon for a couple days after this too, which is quite remarkable. And now, for the highlight of June and May, but it's in June, the annular solar eclipse. All right. 
So this is not going to be quite as awesome as the 2017 eclipse in August. Okay. Um, however, it is still pretty darn cool. Now, your viewing of this changes very much by your location. And I have a couple links to see, you know, what it would look like in your area or what time you would want to be there, that sort of thing. Okay. What I'm going to focus on is southeastern Pennsylvania because that's where I am. Uh, but anyway, this type of eclipse, an annular solar eclipse, only happens every couple of years and even less frequently at each particular location because solar eclipses only cover a small portion of the Earth. Now, this is going to be quite a sight, especially given the unique timing and location. All right, so what's happening? The moon is passing in front of the sun from Earth's perspective. Now, this casts a dark shadow onto the Earth, and this one is near the North Pole. And it also has a lighter shadow on around this dark inner shadow, and that's going to be on parts of the Northern Hemisphere. So one big difference between this eclipse and the eclipse of 2017 is that the moon is a little bit further away in its orbit. This makes it appear a little bit smaller, the moon, from our perspective, and hence it's not quite big enough to block the entire surface of the sun. So this means that if you are in the path of the eclipse, you will see a ring of the sun's surface instead of complete darkness and the corona. That's why it's called an annular eclipse. An annulus is a ring, annular, ring-like solar eclipse. So what does that mean for us in the eastern US? This will be a sunrise eclipse, meaning that if that you need to get a nice view of the northeast horizon and get out there to watch the sun rise looking like it's a crescent moon, or at least as a portion of its former self. For example, here in Lancaster County, um, the sunrise is 5.34 a.m., which is pretty close to the time of maximum eclipse. At that moment, the sun will rise in the north, northeast, looking like a crescent moon, but definitely much brighter than a moon. Um, now, yes, you will need to protect your vision. Um, welders goggles or glasses sometimes work. You gotta get the right number, look that up online. Um, I have some eclipse glasses, uh, but you definitely need eclipse glasses, not just sunglasses, to look at this one, just like the 2017 <clears throat> solar eclipse. Um, and that's because this is only partial in a sense. And you don't get that point where you can take your glasses off and just look at the corona. It doesn't happen. Okay? So let's go back. We said 534, protect your vision. Um, over the next hour, as the sun rises up, about 15 degrees, the moon will actually shift to the left and uncover more and more of the sun's surface until about 6.30 in the morning, which is last contact. So really, you only have about an hour to check this out. Okay? Now, again, the positions, your position changes 
Um, we're actually in a really good spot here in southeastern PA, but like if you're in South Carolina, you're not, you're barely seeing anything as far as a partial eclipse. Um, but anyway, look at Sky and Telescope. They have some good maps to show where it actually makes sense to view from. Um, but yeah, that's that's the annular solar eclipse. Um, I'm thinking this is going to be an interesting one. If you're looking to get pictures, I would probably find a really good view of a horizon that the sun will kind of pop up from and try to take a picture of the horizon as it comes up. Um, but don't forget, you can't just put a telescope on it. You have to have a solar filter. Uh, at least after it gets up a little bit past the horizon, depending on the weather, it, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. So, good luck to everyone going out and seeing that. All right, so let's move on to the twelfth to the fourteenth. Uh, this is another close encounter between the Moon, Venus, and Mars. Mercury's not with us anymore, but on the 12th of June, get out right after sunset, look west, and find a very thin crescent moon right in between Mars and um, below Venus, okay? Um, on the following night, the 13th, okay, sorry, between Mars in the between Mars and the bright but low Venus. On the following night, the 13th, the moon will be less than three degrees above Mars. And then on the 14th, these three make a nice line almost evenly spaced. The 20th of June is the summer solstice, the longest day of the year in the northern hemisphere. And then, ah, here's another one. We've got the Mars and Beehive Cluster. This is uh, interesting. I haven't seen this one before, right? at least I don't think I have. Um, and it's somewhat rare. Mars appears to become one of many stars in the Beehive Cluster in Cancer, uh, especially on the 23rd. Now, this is definitely worth a look through your telescope or your binoculars, though you might see the cluster with your naked eye if your skies are especially dark. So this cluster is thousands of stars, 500 light years away, and it's in our Milky Way galaxy. Now, Mars will be much brighter than the cluster of stars, and that's partially because it's that much closer to us compared to 500 light years. Um, but on the 22nd, it's kind of off to one side. The 23rd, it's right in the middle. And on the 24th, it's kind of off to one side. But uh, it should be quite a remarkable sight. So just find Mars, and the BF cluster will be there. Get your telescope, take a look. And lastly, for the events, we've got the 26th to the 30th. We've got another close encounter with the Moon, Saturn, and Jupiter. So after midnight, look southeast. Or in the morning, look south to find the Moon with bright Jupiter and Saturn nearby. The Moon is closest to Saturn on the morning of the 27th is in between them on the 28th and closest to Jupiter on the 29th. So to recap, um, well, I can't recap all of this, but get out there on June 23rd for the Mars, Mars and the Beehive Cluster, June 10th for the annular solar eclipse, May 26th for the total lunar eclipse, and some other close encounters you can look up as well. 
And lastly, some constellations, which I'm not going to go too deep into because this has been long enough already. But uh, after dinner before bed, I would recommend looking straight up and finding the Big Dipper, Bootes, Virgo, Corona Borealis, and Hercules. Now, basically, you just gaze almost vertically as you face northwest, and you'll easily find the Big Dipper. Seven very bright stars that form a spoon shape. Now, if you take the handle of the Big Dipper, follow its curve to the next bright star you see, about 30 degrees away, that is Arcturus. And you have just followed the arc to Arcturus. That's the brightest star in Bootes, which looks like a kite. Now, remember that curve that you just made and followed. Follow it about another 20 degrees to speed on to Spica the brightest star in Virgo. One of my favorites because it reminds me of the Dickinson Mermaid. Now go back to Bootes, and just to the left of Bootes are seven stars that form the northern crown Corona Borealis, which looks more like a small bowl or a sea in the sky. Continue a little further to the left and you'll find the Keystone Asterism, which is part of the constellation Hercules. And if you're really good, you want an extra challenge, look for M13, the Hercules cluster in between two of Hercules' Keystone stars. Uh, it's known as the best globular in the northern skies. It will be a fuzzy spot in binoculars and even cooler through a telescope. But let's say you're getting up before work. Uh, go ahead and take a look for the summer triangle. Lyra, Cygnus, and Aquila. And if you look pretty much straight above you, you find the brightest star up there. You'll see a parallelogram attached to it. That is the brightest star, Vega, part of the constellation Lyra the Harp. Directly above you will be Cygnus the Swan with its bright star, Deneb and it would look like a large cross, or if you look a little bit further, a swan flying above you. Below Cygnus and Lyra is the third constellation of the Summer Triangle, Aquila the Eagle, with its brightest star, Altair. The three bright stars in this one can easily be confused for Orion's Belt, given their similar size, but they're not in quite as straight of a line, uh, and they're part of a bigger diamond shape. But again, use skymaps.com to, to help you out. Well, that uh, basically wraps it up for May and June of 2021. Don't forget that this podcast is on my Podbean page, mrweb.podbean.com or Stitcher and iTunes. There's also a video version on my YouTube channel. I can be found on Twitter and Instagram as at MrWebPV. M-R-W-E-B-B-P-V, same on YouTube. And the Peckway Valley Planetarium and its events and updates are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at PV Planetarium. So with that, I'd like to wish you lots of luck with these sights and uh, very clear dark skies for the months of May and June.